This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, a major shakeup in Vancouver as Mitch Jones is now in Philadelphia. Rochester loses their first game. Buffalo wins a pair in a crazy week nine. Week 10 is going to be even better, but we also got two great guests in Brendan Bomberry and Lars Tiffany. All that and more on OTCB. I am an Good evening and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, alongside Pat Gregoire. My name is Teddy Jenner, and boy, have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. Malcolm, Donville, shopping, shooting, and picking the top corner. What a snipe from Johnny Donville. That's McCulley come off the bench to the right. Now back to Anico. And Anico rolls off a man, goes to the net, and scores. What an effort by Dehoda and Anico. He gets to the net and puts it home. The lead back to three. It's 11 to eight. Matronics in there causing havoc. Matthews room to shoot him and scores! The third Patrick of the game for Saskatchewan as Mark Matthews with the bouncer beats Landon Kells. Running that top it is McKay who delivers yet again. What a performance from Ian McKay. He's got his fourth. Great passing, Hossa coming in, he scores! The fourth period, Ontario Native makes it 11-6. For the Thunderbirds. Must be the shoes, Pat. <laughs> I tell you, if he throws bodies to the ground, if he scoops up loose balls, and if he scores in transition, Pete, I don't think his team cares if he wears flip-flops out there. What a wild and crazy weekend. We had blowouts, we had upsets, we had... I don't know what that was in Vancouver, but man... <laughs> There was some damn good lacrosse being played in the NLL. Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, Spotify, the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, wherever you get your music. He is Pat Gregoire. Find him on Twitter at pgreggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show at OTCB underscore podcast or on Instagram at OTCB podcast. Uh, Patty, you going to get us on TikTok soon or is that not something we're going to do? That's you're looking at the wrong guy, brother. <laughs> I, I pride myself off being quite the social media savvy person. But when it comes to TikTok, um, I sure know how to scroll through it. But my account <laughs> doesn't have any videos, but nothing. I'm just I'm just there to kill some time. Um, how was the weekend? It was good. I made a little bit of money and it wasn't you from did. our you box did. bets. But I won the Royal Rumble party, and uh, I didn't take Rich's advice, even though Rich Lisk did predict it. The way that it works is everyone just pulls random numbers, and I, my numbers were terrible, I'll be quite honest, for the women's and for the men's Rumble. But I got one number, and that, that number was 30, and that is always a good number in the it Royal is. Rumble. And it ended up working out well for me. 
Who is Cody Rhodes? Those that you know don't watch the Royal Rumble, Pat. They'd be the last wrestler that comes out for the Royal Rumble. So one to thirty, um, each number that is pulled that represents the number of wrestler that you have. So. If you pull number five, you get the fifth wrestler. If you pull one, it's the first. We almost had the number one go all yeah, the way. Gunther. Gunther went yes. almost all the way, but Rhodes what, won. Was it was like an hour and 11 minutes or something like that? Yeah, Iron Man. It was wild. And this always happens with me, Teddy. I, uh, you know, I, I'm not the biggest wrestling fan anymore, but uh, when I was a kid, um, loved it. Absolutely was enthralled with the Attitude Era. But every year around January – yeah. I watch the Rumble and I get drawn back into it. It'll yeah. only last Rumble, a couple right in the Mania season, and then I'll usually jump off the the bandwagon. Yeah. And, That's usually and what this Rumble <laughs> leading up, like so many great storylines and dramatics. The Cody Rhodes return, the the Bloodline storyline. Oh, give me all Stain. of that. <laughs> it's so good. Like Peter Buchanan, our producer for TSN, is probably one of the biggest wrestling savants I've ever met in my life. Um, he literally rattled off every Royal Rumble winner from the very first one. He rattled off every main event at WrestleMania. Like this guy knows his stuff. And he had a great retort for somebody on Twitter when he was tweeting about WWE and he was like, Oh, I can't people believe people watch this show. That's made up. And his response was, I can't believe people watch movies and TV shows that are made up and fake. Like, it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing as you watching whatever soap opera or whatever show that you're into. This is us or this is how it ends or friends or whatever. Whatever make-believe show you watch is the exact same make-believe show that hundreds of thousands of people watch every Monday and every Friday. So get off the fact that grown men love wrestling. It's still real to me, damn it. Yeah. They still have to fall. Those bumps uh, are legit, though. Let's be honest. Yeah. I'm sorry. If, if you're going to jump from one rope to another rope 20 feet and clothesline some dude coming 50 miles an hour at you, yeah, it doesn't feel good. Um, what also doesn't feel good, Pat, is uh, going up 3 nothing and then being outscored 20-4 to four the rest of the way. It was not a good day for the Vancouver Warriors, and – it's only maybe gotten worse if you're a Warriors fan. Um, obviously, in-game, it didn't go according to plan. Making the matters worse, Logan Schuss goes down with a nasty injury. We've now found out that he's done for the year. Um, just horrible, horrible news for one of the um, nicest gentlemen in our sport. And just an all-round good, good dude in Logan Schuss. Um, you know, we here at... OTCB and the whole lacrosse flash family uh, want to wish Logie a speedy recovery. Hopefully um, he can return, but who really knows with an injury as nasty as it sounds, but then rumbles really started to happen and royally rumbling. And you talked about it on coast to coast that you thought Vancouver was maybe going to have to blow this thing up. And I think a lot of people agreed with you. I never thought, that it would be Mitch Jones getting shipped to Philadelphia. And when we saw early indications that Jones had been traded, like, oh, okay, where is he going? Is it Colorado? Uh, is it somewhere else in the West? But no, it's Philly. Okay, now it's for picks. 
What are they getting back? Oh, now it's picks and players. And the return, in my opinion, is pretty good. Because Mitch was going to be a UFA at the end of the year. You could franchise him, but you also have to decide whether you franchise him or Baller. Um, so you you get Steph Charbonneau, a good young defender, pride of Quebec, one of the few Quebecers in the National Cross League, spend some time with Coquitlam and Jr., and is a real solid young defender. Plus, you get an extra first-round pick next year that could be a top-five pick, and a second-rounder that is an old San Diego pick that Philadelphia got. So it's actually a nice return for the Vancouver Warriors who really look like they're starting their rebuild. This, yeah, this, I, this is a great haul for a very elite player. Like you're not going to get Mitch Jones for nothing. Like, and, and again, I get it. It's our job as media. That's uh, fans love doing it, but like automatically saying like, who wins this trade? Well, no, like, you, you, can, you can never tell, really. Like, no. even if it is a lopsided trade at the time, it might pan out for another team down the road. But for short term, this certainly favors Philadelphia. But on the flip side, for long term, this is a great trade for Vancouver. But for short term, it actually is great for Vancouver because they can now properly start this rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think them winning a lot, like they want to compete. Let's be honest. They're they're not like going out there and saying like, guys, don't try. They still want to compete. They still have Troy accordingly behind that bench. There are still guys that need to learn how to compete in the national lacrosse league on that roster. Mm-hmm. It, but they're going to start sell. They have, they started selling off pieces. Yeah. If Logan Schoss doesn't get hurt. Would not be surprised if his name was on the market. We're hearing rumblings that 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 ball's name is out there. Yeah. The one thing that again for we'll get to the Philly side at some point here, mm-hmm, but I really wanted to talk about from the the Vancouver angle. Curious again. We're hearing there could be some changes in between the pipes. I want to know your opinion. That I've I've stated my opinion multiple times now. I know you want. Aiden Walsh, um, obviously it seems like he's the goaltender of the future. You want him to get reps. You want him to see as many NLL shots as possible. But at the same time, you don't want him to lose his confidence. I don't think that they can continue rolling him and and Ethan Woods out there, even if at the end of the day, your ultimate goal is not to, to win lacrosse games. Walsh has the opportunity to be the goaltender of the future and be an NLL goalie. He's very young. He's coming literally from junior to NLL. With a, that's a huge jump. It's a massive jump, especially when you're playing on a team that's not playing well. But they 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 have to address their goaltending situation, not to win games, to ensure that you do not shatter the confidence of one or possibly two young goalies who could have a future in the NLL. If Aaron Bold is coming in to be the guy to maybe hold the fort, seal the dam as it will, I think it is a great addition. Everybody knows that Bold is a talented goaltender. It's been a few years since he's put the pads on. He's had a rough kind of couple go the last few stops 
but I think he has a lot to prove still. And I think he has a lot of fire burning inside that body of his, that peak physical chiseled body that he keeps tip top shape at bold fitness there in Edmonton. So if yes, you're doing a rebuild and you want to start playing the younger guys, but you can't do it at the sacrifice of the confidence of your two young goaltenders, whether they're your future or not. You don't want to shatter those kids so badly that they just have PTSD every time they step in the pipes. So bringing bold in actually can give them some confidence in that back end. They can start playing. So the younger guys in front of him, so that might help. I think long-term, if it doesn't work out, they go a different way at the end of the season. But I think this was sort of, we can't get anybody from another team. So what's the best option out there? There's shoot, there's Dubinsky, Dunkerley, Bold. And so you kind of have to pick your poison. You kind of have to figure out which is going to be the best route for you. And I think Aaron Bold being, you know, in Edmonton, it's a short commute. It's an easy travel. He's familiar with a lot of the guys on the team. Uh, he's been with this organization before. So I think it's it's a good fit. Um, obviously, there's still more questions. You know, you talked about Jones being traded. You talked about Shust being hurt. Now they're lefties or Adam Charlambides and Riley Lowen. Um, you could probably expect <clears throat> Ryan Martell to play a little more O. I know a lot of people would love to see Reed Bowering maybe play a little bit more O. I think it's going to be a very different looking offense for Vancouver this weekend, but this is how the rebuilds have to go. You're, you're in that shitty area where it's going to suck and it can't get any worse than it was this past weekend. And so now you just got to go and see what you have, see what's in the cupboards, Try and get whatever picks you can. Like the fact that Vancouver now has two first round picks. What Unheard of. Hadn't <laughs> happened since 09 when they drafted Rabel and Dutch and they were in San Jose. Like this is a fortune changing trade for the Vancouver Warriors to be able to now have two first round picks. Again, could be two top five picks in a draft that has Williams, Potras, Haley, Cormier and Sheridan as your top five left or your top five O guys. And they're probably going to get, a, well, they will get at least one of those guys. Mm-hmm. What else can they do? So this, I really think this is a good turning point for this organization. Obviously they still have other issues. And I believe they're still trying to um, remedy those issues, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a slow process, but the moves that they have made this week have started that process in motion. And you, you obviously, you, you mentioned the, the two draft picks, like the two first, like that is, especially considering like how good this draft is. I also think that you're not just thinking about the draft. I think you're starting to like, at least if I'm at the helm I'm starting to dip into the ALL West like this week. Yeah. Like go see what's out there. If they're, if you sign them, you, you put them on the practice roster or you put them on the active and it doesn't look like there's anything there. Yeah. So what? You, yeah. You, you got to start you, trying things. You have to start seeing what's, what's working what's out there. And yeah, I know there's some names on that list that 
they probably have a good idea if if it would work or if it wouldn't. But I think you at this point you've just got to try different things to see because Keegan Ball was a street free agent. Yep. Like you get him for nothing. Like I'm not saying Keegan Ball somewhere in the ALL right now, but and it doesn't even have to be the AL AL West. Troy accordingly knows the junior and even senior Ontario lacrosse circle very well. Um, I'm sure he's got his eyes on a few guys. Maybe that might get a call, but um, you got to give a try of the guys that are in your organization, but why not pick up a young hungry player from the AL to see what they have and maybe push some of the guys that are on that roster right now that maybe aren't performing. And, and, and a big reason why you only have one win uh, in the column, uh, you know, at this point in the season. Uh, they got Saskatchewan coming into town, which is never an easy feat. Um, so that is a TSN game of the week. So make sure you tune in for the new look Vancouver Warriors. Um, other games this past weekend in news. Um, how does Rochester respond after their first loss? What can Buffalo and others learn from what Halifax did to the Nighthawks defensively that limited them seven goals? I went back and watched that game. And to me, it looked like Halifax really stepped on the front foot defensively. They didn't allow Rochester to get settled. They didn't allow Fieldsy time and space. It was a very well-constructed game plan by Billy D. Smith and Micah Kersey um, to really throw Rochester off. Time and space was a big thing. And I, I think, and I'm not saying other teams don't have it or um, – because they certainly do. But when you have the two-man game down Pat defensively likes like Rochester or sorry, like Halifax does, it 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 helps so much. Yeah. Um Rochester does such a great job with the two-man game. With Fields, though, it's it's basically a lot of the times it's you know him taking you underneath and just being a better athlete. Well, when you're going up against Jake Withers and you're going up against Ryan Tarafanko, and even sometimes they are throwing Hossack on the other side of the floor, and he's so good, it doesn't matter what side of the floor he's defending. Um, they were just so suffocating. Mm-hmm. And again, great defensive effort from those guys out the back end. Outstanding work by Billy D. Smith and Roger Chrysler putting that game plan together. Yeah. But a big, big shout out has to go to Warren Hill for making the saves that need to be made. Because, yes. again, yeah. not taking anything away from what Rochester did in those first six games, but they were hitting absolute bombs from the outside that mm-hmm. just weren't dropping against Warren. Yep. And a big, big reason why that defense played so confident and was able to be so aggressive is because they knew, okay, if there's a breakdown or if, you know, let's give out that outside shot. Warren's mm-hmm. got it. A couple of those trickling early on. Uh, I think it's a different game plan. I think it's a different game script. But because he was seeing the ball early and often, it really helped the defense kind of settle in and, and have that perfect game plan. Uh, hanging 17 on him doesn't hurt either. Uh, nope. <laughs> Halifax obviously got everything kind of working. Um, speaking of putting up big numbers, Dane Smith drops 20 in a pair of Buffalo Bandit wins. Uh, but maybe more concerning – uh, is the status of Josh Byrne, who left the game in a non with a non-contact injury? We were putting Byrne in MVP category, mm-hmm. and 
I think he still has to be depending on what his injury is, but the loss of burn will really put pressure on Dane Smith, but also maybe ask the question, is Chris Cloutier ready to come back if burn isn't? Uh, I don't think you want to rush with what it sounds like with Cloutier is dealing with some sort of thumb slash hand injury, because if you don't allow that to heal properly, it'll just never heal. But certainly it adds more pressure uh, for them to figure something out on that left side. Um, let's be honest, Brad McCauley and, and Brandon Robinson, like, man, they have done a great job this mm-hmm. year, especially Robinson. Like he's not just the big body that's going to crash and bang and, and, and free up space for burn. Sure. He's doing that. But when the ball's in his stick, he's making great things happen as well. Ian McKay. I mean, Jesus oh. Christ, dude, what a season he's having. Yeah. You know, playing, playing defense, but staying and playing as well. And I think we're going to see more of that. Yeah. Yeah. But if this is a long-term injury for Josh Byrne, I would not be surprised if we see some sort of, of trade to bring someone in, in this offense, because the Buffalo Bandits cannot afford not to win a championship this year. I'll say it that, that much. And again, we don't know what the extent is. We could be overreacting at this point. He could only be out for a week, two weeks, yeah. a month. But if it is longer than two months, something needs to happen. Because, I, again, those guys have done an outstanding job this season, but they're not they're not Josh Byrne. No, no. Um, you know, yeah, Dane puts up 20 and two big wins. Matt Vince has a great weekend. I think everybody contributed, but um, the, the loss of burn uh, is very, very detrimental if, if he is out a long term because this is a Buffalo team starting to find the rhythm. So it'll be interesting to see what Steve Dietrich does if this is a long term injury. Um, if he stands pat and just sees what his group can do, if he makes a move, uh, we will have to wait and see. Uh, the Seals remain atop the West as Chris Origlieri gets another start, makes 30 say, 37 saves against the Mammoth, but no Dylan Ward um, as he was a late scratch. Um, and just for those of you uh, wondering, blockers are not legal for a goaltender to wear, as we saw him wearing one um, in morning shoot-around. But this has to be a concern. But it sounds like it's not going to be that bad from preliminary reports that we're hearing through the scuttle. Again, uh, it is certainly concerning if it's, you know, if it is a long term injury. But like, let's just look at this. I mean, it couldn't come at a worse time considering they have a double header this weekend. Yeah. Um, you'd certainly rather your goalie be healthy um, and you're not going to hope that. Carlson and Fasine split the weekend, mm-hmm. but you know, with Georgia coming into town, Oh, and four. Yeah. They're hungry. Yes. There's Lyle Thompson. Um, I still think even if Ward doesn't play this weekend, they at least can go one and one yep. at least. I don't yep. see them dropping two games with Vegas and, and with Georgia, but again, it's the national league. It, nothing's <laughs> a gimme crazier things yep. have happened. But I don't think if this is an injury that could be something serious, I'm I don't think you're forcing Dylan Ward in there. No, if there's a possibility, like the guy was wearing a blocker for crying out loud. <laughs> like, 
I'm sure a lot of things can change in a week, but at the end yeah. of the day, that's a very important appendage of a goaltender. Yep. Like, Absolutely. And, it gets hit a lot. And it gets hit a ton when you're yeah. when you're Dylan Ward and, and you're so rangy and you you play that high arc. That and he's a left-handed goalie, so that's his freehand. It's his freehand, and he's reaching out all the time, man. Yeah. It's it, again. I hope they don't rush him. I, if, but then again, you said it from preliminary. It sounds like it's nothing too too serious. So, um, yeah, I, I, we'll I don't think it's worth it. And we we will. We'll have to wait and see. Don't wait for the injury report though, because oh, that's not tell us don't get anyway. Patty started. We got thumbs down coming up in a little bit. Uh, Mark Matthews drops a casual twelve in a win over the the Las Vegas Desert Dogs. The rush are indeed back. Dramatics in Calgary. Jesse King scores late in the fourth quarter. But Stephen Keogh wins it in overtime as the Rocks stay hot. Uh, tough loss for the Roughneck, but they're right back at it this weekend in Halifax, not getting any easier. Um, but we started the conversation off with Vancouver in the Jones trade and, and the effect that that has on Vancouver. Let's talk about what the effect this trade has on the Philadelphia Wings, Patty, because they obviously were hoping to have Kyle Jackson this year. That fell through. They've had Blaze Reardon play better than maybe anybody expected. Matt Rambo was off to a bit of a slow start, but he's starting to find his way. But they still don't really have a number one lefty. So getting Mitch Jones gives them a number one threat that balances the floor a bit more to take some pressure off guys like Joey Rez and Ben McIntosh and Blaze and Rambo. So I, I think we talked about the effect long-term that this will have for Vancouver and starting the rebuild. I don't know if this changes everything for Philadelphia, but it does give them some much needed more firepower. 1000%. That's exactly what it does. It, it injects some life into this offense. It gives them a little more floor balance. And to be quite honest, like this is an offense that has been underperforming. Averaging under 10 goals a game. Only Albany, Georgia, and the Colorado Mammoth have scored less goals than Philadelphia. And Colorado's playing five games. Georgia has played four games. Mm-hmm. Albany's played five games. And I think with Albany and Colorado, on paper, you'd probably say, yeah, there's a clear cut difference between those teams and with Philly I think everyone everyone coming into this year expected big things out of this offense with you know Joe Rez coming into the fold Ben McIntosh at the start of the year looked like he was finally finding his footing but there's just that inconsistency and Paul Day said they need to learn how to play with the lead they've blown some serious leads and that's not just because the wheels have fallen off on the defense or, you know, there's been too much pressure on Higgins to steal games. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been that full 60 minutes consistency from the offense. And I think bringing in a guy like Jones that can take over games, it's not just going to all rely on Joe Rez to be that guy. Um, It's going to change the dynamic of the team. It's going to change the trajectory and the potential of this team. But you are right. They they still have other things that need to change before they can insert themselves into the race for the playoffs. Yeah, I think they're close. You know, I think a lot of the the begrudgment in Philadelphia from their fan base is 
you know, they've just traded one of their better young defenders in Seth Charbonneau. Um, and maybe the defense and goaltending have been a bit of a weak spot. So it'll be interesting to see what Paul does to fill that hole, mm-hmm. who can slide into that role, and what this team can do to kind of right the ship. Does just adding a little bit more firepower take some pressure off that defense, knowing that, okay, maybe our offense can put up 13-14 a night and we can we can get by with giving up 11 or 12 a game. So it's very interesting to see what Paul Day will do and what the wings do to kind of shore up everything that that is with that organization, because, you know, they've been in games, they've been out of games, they've been up in a couple of games. They've had those leads go away. They've been just steamrolled in some, but the, maybe the biggest positive is the fans continue to come out in Philadelphia and support that team. And once this team figures it out and gets on a roll, uh, this is definitely a team that can make a run. They just got to find that confidence and get a couple wins and and f- get that feeling back, get that swagger and mojo back. And I think this team can turn around. It, it is. We've talked about it at nausea about how good the top four in the East are. And maybe even worse for some of those Eastern teams that are five, six, seven is the fact that the top four in the West are that much better this year. So that crossover spot looks less and less likely. So they're going to have to do a lot of work within their own conference, winning those games to start making up some ground. All right, let's um, do thumbs up, thumbs down before we get to Bomber, Brandon Bomberry. Um, let's do thumbs down first. because Let's end on a positive note. Okay. Um, my thumbs down, we'll start because it'll kind of lead into yours. Um, a real unfortunate weekend uh, for injuries. Uh, we talked about Josh Burns non-contact. We talked about Logan Schuss, his career or season ending injury. Shane Simpson pulls up lame in that game for the Calgary Roughnecks against Toronto. I just hate seeing guys get hurt. And I know it's a matter of sport that injuries happen, but you just hate seeing it when guys are going all out and guys are giving it 100%. Like, Shuss was battling for a loose ball in the corner. Byrne was, you know, trying to go one-on-one with the defender. Simpson was making another great play in transition that still led to a goal. He was still able to get the pass off. But I just hate seeing guys go down with injuries and not playing the game they give so much for. So I hope all three guys have speedy recoveries, whatever length it may be, and hopefully we can see them all again soon. Echo those one hundred percent. It's uh, it's it's heartbreaking, especially when you hear of of Shus, like his season being done, and it's going to be a, a tough road to recovery, no doubt. Um, so again, I'll, I'll I'll say it. We wish the speediest of recoveries for for them, and that, that's kind of the price you pay when you play play a physical um, game like lacrosse. But I mean, some of these injuries are are non contact, which makes things even more frustrating. I'll stick with the theme of injuries with mine, but my thumbs down goes to an injury report that was added this year, which was a great thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We're having some transparency in terms of injury, something that has been missing for a long time, something that sports betters um, were begging for. Um, but unfortunately this weekend, and and maybe this couldn't have really been solved considering this came out of the morning of, of 
Friday uh, before week nine. And we talked about it. Dylan Ward out of nowhere, what, an hour yeah. before game time? It's said that he's a late minute, last minute scratch. And I get it. I'm not blaming Pat Coyle or or the Colorado Mammoth for, for not reporting this because if 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 they ha- have the opportunity to keep this quiet as long as possible they're going to take it why would they feel the need that they have to let the other team or let everyone else know but it should be a league mandate that this information is readily available as soon as there is a, a chance that this could happen and Maybe it's a thing like we see in the NFL where there is a injury report early in the week, middle of the week game at the start of the game or, and then we find out, you know, before game time, because again, if, if this league wants to be taken seriously from the casual sports fan, the casual sports better, um, these things need to be figured out. Could you imagine if you put money on the Colorado mammoth thinking that you're putting your hard earned money on Dylan Ward and you find out while you flip the game on, he's not in, I'd be pretty pissed off. I'd yeah. be, I understand why some people are still reluctant to bet on the game of lacrosse because there is a lack of transparency and kudos on the NLO for starting some transparency and, and, and starting this injury report, but we need more because yeah. that is a clear part. And again, I'm not blaming Colorado because they follow the rules. They did nothing wrong. Yeah. But there needs to be rules to ensure that doesn't happen going forward. Thumbs up. Give me New York Riptide seafoam jerseys every single day of the week. Those things were crispy and clean. They looked unreal. Man, I kind of thought this would have been a a way they would have gone originally. I think they should immediately stop production on anything other than these seafoam green jerseys. They were unreal. Give me two thumbs up. Let's go four because I'm putting my uh, All right, thumbs up for that as well. It's not my official thumbs up for this, but I, I agree. And I've heard that these aren't actually even their nicest alternate jerseys. The ones what? that they're going to be coming out with are even better. What are those ones? They're lifesaver jerseys that they always do? No, 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 no. This is, and from what I gather, I know they put out a tease. I believe it's still a navy blue jersey, but it's that alternate logo with the lighthouse, which I am a big, big fan of. So keep your eyes peeled for that. My thumbs up. Wish we were seeing the seam foam jerseys this weekend. We will be seeing the Riptide. We'll be seeing the Toronto Rock in their hammer jerseys. Yes. For the TSN game of the week. Oh, wait. There's oh, wait. two yes. TSN games a week. We're getting a TSN double header. I am absolutely fired up. Yeah, I know we're broadcasting it, but I am so excited that after the game, we can mosey on over to the anchor bar and NLL action will be on there. If you're a fan, you can make an absolute dent in your couch from 7 o'clock Eastern till after midnight, watching two games of lacrosse. This needs to happen more often, Teddy. This is incredible stuff. 
It absolutely does. Two games on TSN. Never thought it would actually happen. We're, we're here. I, I know there was even talks. They wanted to make it a triple header, but beggars can't be choosers. We'll take the double header, and we will just keep our fingers crossed for further down the road that maybe we get a triple header. Uh, there was is only one game on Friday night. It is Georgia at Colorado. We've talked about the Colorado side of things and what it means if Dylan Ward is injured. But what about the Georgia Swarm. They've only played four games. They haven't played in quite a while. So what's Brendan Bomberry been up to? And what are he and the Swarm going to do to try to win some games? Start for the Georgia Swarm, but the skies are clear in Denver, and they're there to take on the Mammoth, and we're happy to be joined by Brendan Bomberry, the Swarm. Bomber, how are you, man? I'm good, Teddy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Pat and I have been meaning to get uh, you on this show for a long time. Finally, uh, we've been able to line things up. Uh, what's been going on? How, how have your holidays been? How have the, the first few months been? Because you haven't been playing a lot of lacrosse. Yeah, the holidays have been good. I think uh, it's one way to kind of look at it. It's good to have some time off throughout the uh, throughout the holidays with the family. But at the same time, you know, when everyone else is playing every single week and you're off or, you know, stretches of two weeks at a time, you know, it's kind of tough to kind of get into a rhythm. So, you know, going into this week, we're really excited to have, uh, I think we play 13 on the next 14 weekends. So we're excited to kind of get into a rhythm and uh, get going. How important is that, that rhythm? Because when you're, you're playing every other week, you're not seeing the guys, you're not, you know, around the guys as much. Uh, so not being at the rhythm is tough, but obviously you guys put in work away from the arena. How do you stay on top of each other to make sure everyone's doing the work away from, you know, your weekly practices and, and weekend get togethers? Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough, especially in our league, not being able to be together all the time. So, you know, being in the group chat, right, that's that's our locker room kind of razzing in there and letting guys know. And, uh, you know, it's kind of how we kind of keep each other accountable. Some guys will send Snapchats of, you know, what, whatever workout they're doing and, you know, call a guy out and, you know, kind of having some fun with it at the same time. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's tough when you're away so much, but, you know, we do the best that we can through our group chats and our calls and, you know, our Instagram groups and all that kind of stuff. So we kind of stay together that way the best we can. A lot of the same faces we saw in the offense last year, but but one of the new ones is Andrew Q. And I know uh, the results in the standings aren't there, but it looks like he's starting to gel with this offense, 21 points in just the four games. Uh, what have you liked with Q coming on in your offense so far? Yeah, definitely. He's been a huge help for us offensively. I think, you know, whenever, you know, 42 is on the floor, he's a threat to score. And I think that just makes defenses, you know, key into him a little bit more. So kind of having that balance with Lau on the right side and Shane and and, uh, and Q on the left side makes, you know, things a lot easier for, you know, myself inside and, you know, whoever else is working to kind of get open. And uh, like I say, he's just an always, always a threat to, to kind of score. And, you know, he'll be on the outside with his shot and then he, you know, if you take that away, he can get inside and get to the net whenever he wants. He's a big boy, so, you know, we're lucky to have him. Outside of that first Buffalo game, you guys really have been in a battle every single weekend that you play. A couple bounces either way. Uh, things can be a lot different in, in your guys' record. How important are these next few weeks? Um, you got the Mammoth, the Firewolves, and the Rock twice. Um, you know, we talked about getting in that rhythm. But for you guys, a chance to really right the ship here and start winning some games. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people have kind of, you know, think we're hitting the panic button. Um, and that's, you know, that's just not us. You know, we re we realize, yeah, we're 0-4, but 
but you know, teams, some teams have played eight, seven, eight games already. And we're kind of at four and, you know, it's kind of like, we, we've gotten a lot of rest throughout the, the holidays. It's allowed us to kind of sit back and watch a lot of film and, and look at a lot of teams. And, you know, we're trying to, you know, take advantage of the things that we've been given and just kind of control what we can control. So like you said, the stretch coming up is huge and starting off with the right foot and, you know, taking on a tough Colorado team and, you know, a tough environment, you know, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to it. You, you mentioned, um, you know, some new faces, but there's some, some key faces that aren't there. Um, who's taking over kangaroo court without Pooley and Jordan Hall there? <laughs> Halsey, Halsey, actually, he passed down the crown to, to me. Oh, so I've, oh, I've been ruling with an iron fist and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, Halsey put a lot of trust in me, so it's been a big, a big uh, commitment, and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. What's the hardest part about being the judge of Kangaroo Court? Um, it's not really that. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's kind of <laughs> hard to kind of, you know, you try to, you know, keep things fair and keep things loose, and uh, you know, guys trying to challenge you. You kind of sometimes I'm, a, you know, in, in past, you know, kind of been a pushover, but you know, kind of keeping that tough line and staying strong has kind of been, you know, tougher for me and I'm kind of working on that. And I know, uh, you know, just like, you know, our team got on a roll, maybe I'll get on a roll here in kangaroo court. I've had a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> who's got, who's got the judge Judy and night court. And... <laughs> yeah. Who's got the, uh, the biggest rap sheet. Who's, who's picked up the most fine so far this season. Uh, big one for sure um, is Jordan McIntosh. He's always up there for close to max with the rookies. Um, Halsey actually from his retirement ceremony has quite the, uh, quite the tab to pick up, um, especially with the late fines building up. So, you know, he, he's coming in this weekend. So I hope he brings his wallet. <laughs> uh, obviously, the, this this three week span for the National Lacrosse League, um, focusing on every child matters, is a very important one. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people would say that maybe we're not doing enough and only using it as three weeks to kind of highlight. What more can the NLL do, and us as media and players, do to bring more awareness um, and perspective? You know, I think we've done, you know, a really good job and it, it's so tough. You know, a lot of people ask me this question, like, what more could we do? And, you know, it's, you know, the, just the kind of asking questions, just kind of really building an understanding, understanding behind it. I think that's the most important part. You know, it's more than just throwing on, you know, a shirt or, or, or posting on social media. That's great. And, but, you know, to have, you know, a better understanding. So when people who don't know ask you, you know, what this is about, what this means, you're able to tell them and, and kind of give them that same perspective you were given, right? And kind of pass along. It's almost like a game of telephone, right? The more people we can get to and tell, right, and have a better understanding, you know, we can work towards, you know, that uh, reconciliation and, and, and moving forward and, and doing things like that. And I think, you know, we've done a great job. I know a lot of my teammates have, you know, asked us a lot of questions. Um, I think we're really lucky with having a lot of Haudenosaunee members on our, on our team. So, you know, we're really well-versed in that sense. So, you know, our teammates have a pretty good understanding. And, you know, when, when we start to do these campaigns and these movements and stuff like that, we always kind of have a talk together to kind of, you know, make sure we're really well-informed and, and we're always learning and making sure that we're doing as much as we can, you know, uh, to kind of help build, you know, whatever campaign, whatever movement it is that we're trying to amplify. 
I think, you know, during the webinar last week that the NLO hosted, um, a lot of people probably heard some stories that they'd never heard before. And mm -hmm. I know some of the stories that I heard that night um, were gut-wrenching and things that you could, couldn't even imagine. When did you first hear about residential schools? You know, I, I've heard about it, you know, since I was little. Um, and that was one of the things that my mom, I didn't really understand it. My mom always kind of emphasized it to me. And, you know, myself and all my siblings have grown up going to Mohawk Immersion School. So everything we've learned has been in, in Mohawk. And that's part of the reason around that is trying to rebuild our culture and, and rebuild our, our our languages and our, our culture, our traditional practices and those types of things. And, you know, my mom actually started a, a school you know, based around that. Now my kids go there, my cousins, and it's kind of been something that almost my mom has really been made it her life's work, you know, since I've been born. And so I've been really um, a part of that and part of learning with her and, you know, hearing story from hearing stories from my great grandparents and, and things that they've gone through. And uh, like I said, you know, you always hear stories, you you thinking there's no way it can get any worse. And then, you know, the next story is worse than the other. So um, like I said, when you have a better understanding and you understand, you put kind of put yourself in that position or, you know, kind of think about that, think about that, especially if you have kids, mm -hmm. right. It, it hits a whole nother level. And, and I think that's when, you know, it really hits home for a lot of people. You, uh, Randy Stotts and Cole Lyons started Turtle Island lacrosse. Do, do you feel that you, you play a role in not only coaching and teaching these young players how to play the game, but also mentoring and education, uh, educating them? Yeah, and that was one of our goals. I think that, you know, it hasn't been, you know, as strong as we have liked it, our presence right now, just because, you know, both Randy and I have young families now, a couple, you know, Randy has twins, and I have a four-month-old, so it's been tough to kind of get around to that thing. But I know that it's always in the back of the mind every week, or like, what can we do to you know, kind of make that better and, and keep doing that? And like I said, it's been a goal of ours to, you know, more so the teaching and the understanding of things outside the cross, but just using the game to kind of, you know, draw people in and make it, you know, kind of fun and, and uh, make people want to learn more about it. When you see your teammates kind of struggling for words to ask questions, do you empathize them with, with kind of being nervous to, to find the right words and, and not upset you with, with the wrong question? Yeah. And I think, you know, we've, we've made that pretty clear. You know, I know for myself, I'm pretty easygoing, pretty lighthearted, you know, I can take a joke and, you know, nothing really um, offends me. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of something that, you know, I've voiced, you know, there's no stupid question. Like there's no, like, if you really don't know, like I'm not going to take offense to anything. And right. And that's, I've yeah. always tried to, it's something that's happened in my growth as a kid, you know, growing up playing in GTHL, playing hockey, Right. I heard a lot of things that, you know, no native kid really should hear. Right. And it, it bothered me. But, you know, as I grew older, I realized, you know, these kids, they didn't know. Right. And I can't be mad at them because they don't know. Right. I can't be upset because they don't know. So kind of turning it and using it into, you know, a, a teaching moment and, and, you know, turning that into a positive rather than a negative. Have, have you seen a more concerted effort from people around you to, to understand and to, to ask those questions? For sure. And I think it's, you know, and that's all thanks to it, you know, every child management movement being so, em, em, or, um, you know, out there, right. And, and, you know, people have a lot more, um, they kind of know what questions to kind of ask. I think before they didn't really know how, you know, 
what went on, how to ask questions, what even, you know, what was kind of going on. Now they kind of have a, a kind of a backstory that they're able to kind of ask questions to kind of build on that original understanding. When the first sort of mass grave in Kamloops was found, 215, you know, unnamed graves and, and children who never got a chance to come home, what went through your mind? Because I know, you know, like the rest of us, just completely flabbergasted and shocked that something like this could happen. As someone who kind of had heard the stories of residential schools and what happened, what were your first thoughts? You know, I wasn't surprised. I would say my feeling was relief that, you know, there was finally some, you know, hard evidence that people could see, right? And I think that that's what the biggest thing was, you know, people didn't believe that it happened because there was no proof. They needed a proof to see that it actually happened. You know, they always try to say there's no way that, you know, these people could do that to someone, right? But, no, well, now there's proof, right? Now there's thousands and thousands and thousands, and there's really no nowhere else to go, right? They, you know, so like I said, it, it was a kind of big-time relief for, you know, myself, and I'm sure for a lot of, you know, Native communities throughout, you know, North America. When when I heard that, you know, there were they've – come to the idea there's over 500 residential and boarding schools. And you think of just the 215 that have been found at that one spot. And like you said, thousands and thousands of thousands of young children never got a chance to come home. Do you, when you put on the Haudenosaunee Jersey and, and when you play the game of lacrosse, do you play for them? Yeah, of course. I think that's, something that we always kind of voice, right? We always talk about giving thanks, you know, to everything around us. And that's part of it, right? Giving thanks that we're kind of here to be able to play this game you know, because there are a lot of children and people who weren't ever even given a chance to. And that's something that, you know, sticks with us um, all the time. And we continue to kind of do that and, and move through that and pass it on to younger generations so they can kind of understand that. And we can just keep growing from there. To, to stay in the Haudenosaunee now, um, who's the first person you call, do you think, when when you and your brothers and sisters get the call to join the Olympics? Who, who's that first person you call and say, we did it? You know, I think it'd probably have to be my grandma. Um, my grandma, Kathy Smith, she did a lot of um, work behind the scenes for the uh, the Haudenosaunee women. Um, and she did a lot of work that, you know, the Haudenosaunee, you know, nationals were able to kind of use to move forward in, in terms of um, gaining ground on, on making to Olympics and doing those types of things. So she would have to be my first call. And I think she would just be over the moon. Um, you've been around the, the Haudenosaunee program for a few years now. What's it like having an elder like Orrin Lyons being around this team and feeling his spirit and his energy? it's it's crazy you can't really describe it you know when you know when he talks you can hear a pin you know drop wherever we are because everyone is just so you know into what he's talking about right there's no chit chat over here you know whispering over there right everyone is so dialed in on what he's saying and you know it's just everything that he says has so much prolific meaning to it that like it just like it, it uplifts you and you're just like wow like, you know, you're kind of left speechless thinking, you know, how lucky are we to be able to, you know, to, to listen to him and, and be able to be around him, you know, when we go off and, and do these train camps and, and these tournaments and these games. So, you know, we're extremely lucky to have that. Um, 
in a New York Times article, you said, um, you know, lacrosse is a political sport and a political game for you guys. What does that mean? You know, I, th- I think that, you know, with my time with the Iroquois Nationals, I kind of felt like, you know, lacrosse is our way to kind of push through and voice our opinions, right? It gave us, you know, a voice, right? And, and people, especially in the lacrosse community, love the, the Haudenosaunee Nationals, right? With, you know, the gear and the, the flair on the field, right? So it's an easy team to root for. So when, you know, you see a team or people, a part of the team, you know, trying to, you know, speak out and, and, and say things, right? They're, they're able to kind of um, listen and, and, and amplify that, right? And I, you know, I genuinely felt, you know, if that if we were part of the Haudenosaunee Nationals, we wouldn't have that type of, you know, that type of voice. And that's kind of what I meant by that is, you know, I don't like to make lacrosse political, but, you know, for us, it is, right? And us traveling to these games on our Haudenosaunee passports, right, to Israel, um, you know, to where we have to go. I went to Finland, right? It sets a precedent, right? Once that country accepts our Haudenosaunee passport, opens up a whole floodgate for our entire people. So, you know, that's another reason for that as well. You mentioned it, obviously, in in the game of lacrosse, in the lacrosse world, you know, the Haudenosaunee's loved. Everyone, you know, when when you guys go out on the field, um, you always have people rooting for you regardless of where where they're from you guys had an opportunity though to be on a much much bigger stage with the world games what was it like walking out being able to represent the Haudenosaunee's on the biggest stage you could think at that moment yeah it was pretty insane you know I've like I said I've been to the world lacrosse championships and you know going into it you kind of think it's kind of just like that but then you show up there and you're in you know I think it's like an 80,000 you know, see the stadium and I think, you know, 80% of it's full with countries from all around the world. And, you know, all these countries are walking out with, you know, hundreds of athletes. And then then there's us walking out with, you know, 23 people, you know, you kind of realize the, you know, what that means. And it's something that, you know, I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And, you know, I can't wait to be able to pass that on. And, you know, hopefully my sons are able to have that same experience and, uh, you know, like I said, it's something I'll remember for the rest of my life. We're five years away from 2028, the Olympics. Um, obviously, the goal still is to have lacrosse there, but more importantly, the Haudenosaunee there. Is there any update? Do we know where we stand? How are you as a sort of an Olympic body working towards that goal? Yeah, I know there's a lot of uh, stipulations and things that we have to do um, as an organization to make sure that we're in good withstanding with the Olympic committee. So I know there's, you know, I think we have to have some other sports that are involved. Um, you know, I, I think we went over it in the summertime. I can't really remember, but I know that they're working hard to kind of making sure that all our, you know, everything was in line to make sure that you know, we could be able to get there. And uh, I know there's a lot of people doing a lot of things behind the scenes, making sure that we kind of get there. Um. You guys just did uh, with the Swarm a favorite NHL jersey. Um, let me allow you to elaborate on the greatness <laughs> of the Buffalo Sabre Goathead jersey. I mean, it's just the best jersey going right now. And <laughs> I, I, it just reminds me of my childhood. You know, I, my, my family has been season ticket holders since, you know, since they got there. So we're huge Buffalo Sabres fans. And, 
you know, we've seen some pretty ugly jerseys in our time, um, you know, and be able to see those back out there this year has been unreal. And especially the team's so hot. I mean, it's, it's hard not to love. It's uh, much better than the slug jersey you guys had to have. Although that was, uh, you guys had a good team back then, but the, the slug jerseys were, were not it. <laughs> we had, exactly. And I look back at all my jerseys and of course the only old ones I could find are old Maxima Finnegan off jerseys and the slug jerseys. <laughs> you know, I wish I, I wish I still had my old, uh, my old black and head, our black and red go ahead jersey. But uh, yeah, those are definitely the best. You're going to have to get a, uh, one of the new ones with, with Tage Thompson on the back. I, I'll say it, man. I'm a Leafs fan, but I love watching that guy play hockey. He's unbelievable. Oh, uh, yeah, he's unreal. Um, my, my little guy's eighth birthday's coming up here in a month, so he's been bugging me every day for a 72 black and red go-ahead. So I'm sure we'll be hitting the store here soon. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Bomber, appreciate you, my man. Um, I know we could continually talk for hours, but – uh, you're out in Breckenridge, Ridge, so uh, go enjoy the Mile High Life. Good luck this weekend, and always appreciate the chats and everything you do, my man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys having me. Barry, and I know that call to his grandmother will be a very emotional one, and I'm sure he won't be the only one calling a family member when that day happens. And an incredible conversation with Lars Tiffany coming up later on the show, and, and he... Um, has an incredible answer to that question as well of who do you call first, but more importantly uh, right now for Brendan Bomberry and the Georgia swarm Friday night against the Colorado mammoth. This is a huge game. And he said it not having a lot of games early on uh, has put them behind the eight ball, but this is a perfect stretch for this team, whether it's Dobson and net or Wendy and net, everybody is a collective group to come together and turn this thing around. No panic. No need to worry. You've played four games in the first 10 weeks. Let's focus on now and move forward. Even reset the schedule and reset our record and just go from here. Yeah, you heard him. He said they're they're not hitting the panic button. I don't think anyone really thought necessarily anyone in that locker room was going to be hitting it. Maybe the chatter amongst us in terms of management hitting the panic button, hitting the reset mm. button, certainly – um has been tossed around and and i mean you, you'd be silly not to think about it but in terms of that inside that locker room i do believe him i think that this team thinks that they can get right back to the mix yeah they're oh and four um but they have a huge opportunity to flip their season on its head and they have a lot of talent on that front end and i like the way that their defense is starting to be built uh, they're young and they're fast mm -hmm. The issue and the big difference maker will be, can one of those goalies step up? And we're not asking Wendy or Dobson to be world beaters by any stretch of that imagination. And I don't think they need to be, but they got to make the saves that need to be made, made. And if this offense can turn high powered, which when you look at the, the names, you look at that lineup, like they should have the capabilities to go off every single night. Um, I'm not ready to say they're out of it. Do I love their chances to turn things around and make the postseason? Absolutely not. But he said at what, 12 of the next 14 weeks they're playing. So they yeah. could get on a run, get on a groove and at least make things interesting. Uh, so they're going up against the Colorado team uh, coming off a tough loss against San Diego. Again, we mentioned we don't know the status of Dylan Ward. Uh, so we interesting to see 
what we see between the pipes for Colorado is that is the lone game on Friday night. Saturday night, there are some doozies. A couple TSN games, as we mentioned, in Thumbs Up. It's a doubleheader weekend. But before that, Calgary at Halifax. This is a juicy, juicy matchup. Obviously, don't know the status of Shane Simpson, how that will affect the Calgary transition game is yet to be seen. But Calgary coming off a loss, Halifax coming off a blow to Rochester. Two forces colliding here on the East Coast. This has the makings of being an absolute barn burner. Like this nope. is this like has Sask Halifax three years ago or before COVID yeah. written all over it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't think either team they've proven that that they can be out of of a game. Like, look what Calgary was able to do. Like they did not look great in that first quarter. They they claw their way back with that buzzer beater at halftime, and and then they went blow for blow with Toronto pretty much you know, the rest of the way, then they had their second comeback to tie yeah. things up. Like, so they, you know, they're never out of it. You know, Halifax with their high powered offense, like a hundred goals scored <laughs> already this season, yeah. only Buffalo with more. But when you think about it, there's a couple of games where they were really stifled offensively. Mm-hmm. So it's like, which offense is going to show up? Is it the offense that can score, you know, a 19, 18, 17, they're probably not putting up that much against no. this defense and against, Christian Delbianco, but you know, if they can find that consistency, the big battle, I think, where this game's going to be won and lost is can Halifax outscore their issues of, of their reverse transition woes? Because mm, yeah. they are very slow to get off the floor. They are. And right. Calgary is very fast to get up and <laughs> up. And that yeah. could be an absolute issue. So if Halifax can sacrifice a little bit of that offense to take away that transition game, I think that's a recipe for success. Uh, Ethan Ticehurst, uh, I believe, is closely being back to healthy. So if there's no Shane Simpson getting a healthy Ticehurst back might alleviate some of that uh, for Calgary. Uh, but yeah, that, this is going to be a beauty. Christian Del Bianco is on pace for 30 dimes this year, <laughs> uh, which would be seven more than the single season record. He's already at 64 in his career. The record is 106. Like this guy could be setting all sorts of goalie assist record. Um, and it's just a real fun treat to watch when he is on his game. And that Calgary transition game is full motor. Uh, There's nobody better passing the ball than CDB. Uh, The first TSN game goes from Hamilton, New York against Toronto. You know, New York, I watched that New York Buffalo game. They were in that game. Like they they battled Buffalo that entire game. A couple bad penalties, a couple tough bounces, and Buffalo getting a few goals in the row really sunk them. But it, it does look like New York has turned a bit of a corner since the Crawford trade. I think Kiernan is playing a little more free. Teet and O'Connor are starting to show up. They get Dan McRae back defensively. So I don't think this game is as maybe lopsided as some may think on paper. Because I think New York is starting to turn the corner. They really are. And it's unfortunate. It just really unraveled in that third quarter, getting outscored 7-3. Yeah. yeah, they didn't score in the fourth, but they only gave up two. And 
in that first, it, it was it really was back and forth. Like New York went up two, then then Buffalo scores, and then New York goes up three, and then Buffalo scores three, and then New York get one back, and then Buffalo scores two, then New York scores two, and then they. <laughs> You're so a box score cowboy right now. Right, right now, I'm looking at it right now. Like if I you know. look, it's back and forth. They go, and then the wheels just you know completely fall off for this this team and offensively we know they can score in bunches we know that they're starting to to really click you mentioned the guys that are finding the consistency the defense i actually feel like is starting to play a lot better as well they just need that consistent goaltending from steve orleman he was great in the first half he really was there was a few goals in that third quarter where i think he would love to have back and it's just kind of deflating when you're trying to make a comeback and you don't get that save that you're looking for, yeah. especially when your offense on the other side is is looking down on, you know, arguably the best goalie of all time and trying to b- break through at some point. Well, the defense and goaltending doesn't get any easier as they go in against an absolute wagon. That is Toronto's defense yeah. and Nick Rose right now. Like the way Nick Rose is playing, it's it's MVP caliber. Yeah, and it's it's first to ten when you're playing Toronto. If you yeah. can get to ten goals, you're you're doing yourself a favor against that defense. And uh, you're right. The when your offense is struggling, you need your goaltender to bail you out a couple times. And in that third quarter, they just didn't get it, and it was a detriment for New York. So that'll be uh, your game on the window. Yes, finger up. I just I wanted to say one thing. Okay. Have you ever seen a, a team utilize behind the net more than this New York team does? No. Like, no and no. I, you you bring up an incredible point because the last few weeks they've done it more and more. But you have to legit and and almost every time it's Kiernan behind the net and the shots coming from Teeter O'Connor because you have to respect that shot as the mm-hmm. goaltender. You have to step out and challenge. And the fact that they can throw overhand, make it look like you're still shooting, and get that pass off that it, it almost looks like it's just uh, an errant shot because it's still on target. Mm-hmm. But it's just off by just enough that the goalie can't get a piece of it, but he's now on his toes, and so it's an easy dunk. It is so well done and so hidden each and every time. But as a defender, you don't ever want well, – not ever. You rarely – in most situations are going to go behind the net and cut that guy off and Mm -hmm. just seal him off. But I think teams are going to have to start doing that now with how successful New York is at that play. Yeah. And, and and it's now not even just the dunk from, from sundown or whoever it is. Like Mm. we saw like current Kiernan grab the ball from behind the net and then take a step above goal line and, and put one in. Like we also saw sundown was creeping behind the net, but the pass came earlier and he's on the wrong side of his on the floor and throws yep. that little twister. So now they're finding different variations from that play. And teams now don't know. They're like, it's going to come to a point. It's like, okay, if you show too much respect for that play, then you're opening up so much more space for yep. Teton O'Connor for a two-man game. Yeah. And yeah. so again, it, it's it, your poison. It, it really is. And so I think if if this defense and if this goaltending can hold up the end of their bargain this new york team i don't know if they're gonna do enough to make the playoffs but they're gonna they're gonna start becoming a much more difficult out 
if, yeah. if that side of the, the ball can start playing better. Uh, two difficult outs are Albany and Philadelphia. They play this weekend in Philly. Uh, this is a huge game. We talked about, you know, the Jones impact for Philadelphia. So let's kind of maybe shade more Albany here. Uh, this is a team we've we've talked about many times that has the ability to make a push and make the playoffs. But this is a game that, I, honestly, I think this is a, this has sneaky possibilities to be a really good game this weekend between these sort of middle-of-the-pack Eastern clubs that want to take that next step and, and push for four, hope for five? You know what? It's I don't want to say this is like the most important game on the schedule because Rochester-Buffalo has like first place impl- implications and, you know, Panther City can make some serious strides and the game we just talked about, obviously. But... Like, this is a complete swing game in terms of, of the standings. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're Albany, you want to keep pace. If you're Philadelphia, you've shown that, like, how many moves has Paul Day made in the last few weeks? Like, he he knows, like, this is make, make or break. They can't not make the playoffs this year. Albany, has they're playing with a little bit of house money. But at the same time, when you beat Buffalo and you beat Halifax, you're like, okay, well, then you should be competing. Yes. So for me, it's like, I, 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 you don't ever want to say like, it's a must win this early in the season, but no, man, but like the projection of your, your team season, this is huge. If, if Albany, then all of a sudden they're at three and three and, and they're feeling a lot better themselves. If you're Philadelphia and you get back to three and four, yeah, sure. There's still a lot more to climb, but on the flip side, if you're Philadelphia, you trade for Mitch Jones, you get rid of a bunch of assets for the future and you lose to Albany, you're yeah. feeling really shitty about yourself. <laughs> yep. I hear you. So that is a vitally important game for both those teams. Uh, maybe the marquee matchup of the weekend outside of Halifax, Calgary, Rochester at Buffalo, the rematch. Uh, obviously, everyone remembers Rochester winning in that legacy game, uh, as Aiden York puts it for Ryland Hartley a couple weekends ago in Rochester's return match. Um, will Rochester fans be able to travel as well as Buffalo fans and make some sort of dent in bandit land? Uh, but this is going to be an absolute doozy. Uh, if you get a chance to watch this game live, I highly recommend it because these two teams are going to put on a show. But again, um, when you look at that Eastern conference, six and one versus six and two, uh, this is your swing game, especially if Rochester can take two from Buffalo. Oh man, wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that uh, be something? It would. It really would. Um, two teams, kind of. I don't want to say on different paths because it really Rochester just lost one game, but um, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, like, okay, did the glass slipper fall off this team? Like, they got their their teeth kicked in pretty good uh, against a really good Halifax team in a tough building. So, you know, I'm taking it with a grain of salt. I still think they're legit. Um, On the flip side, Buffalo, two huge wins on a back-to-back win. They're feeling really great about themselves. Um, But do we see burn? And even if we don't Mm -hmm. see burn, you know, what's that left side going to look like? Who's going to be the guy to step up? But for me, this this is like this is what we want out of Rochester Buffalo. We haven't yeah. had it in a while. We no. haven't had the games that mean so much between these two teams. Like, this is what it's all about, man. 
Panther City at San Diego. Uh, I-, I would imagine we see Chris Origlieri again. Um, this is slowly starting to become his team between the pipes. Uh, but don't sleep on Panther City. This is the team that's coming up off hanging 20 on Vancouver. Uh, they got Callum going. Jake Fox is a questionable scratch. Um, maybe he's now sort of been um, moved to a, a trade piece or maybe just a guy that's not going to see a lot of action down in Panther City. But that's a team that's starting to show some grit. Obviously, we know everything that San Diego can do. Uh, so this is, a, this is a sneaky good game, obviously, down there in San Diego for the Seals. Uh, they got to get back on track. Went over Cal- uh, Colorado this past weekend. They got to start putting a couple wins together to kind of regain the momentum after the Calgary loss. Panther City would love to – we haven't even mentioned this. Panther City is currently in the playoffs as we stand <laughs> right now. So they want to hold on to that spot in the West and continue to move up because a couple more wins and they're really nipping at the heels of the Colorado Mammoth. So Panther City do not sleep on the boys in purple – uh, because they're starting to find their form. Uh, of course, the other TSN game, Saskatchewan at Vancouver. Um, Bold's there now. Uh, Jones is out. Shuss is done. What will Vancouver look like? And this is a kind of a, a revenge game for Alex Bouquet, a little bit, coming back to his old stomping grounds against Vancouver. And it, this could, this game, uh, I think, goes one of two ways. It is an absolute blowout in the favor of the rush or all worlds collide. And this is an eight, seven classic defensive battle that is down to the wire. Man, this everyone, like I, first off, I mean, you could just even look at the, at the betting odds for yeah, this What game. are they currently? Um, they have moved, but I know right now on the money line, Vancouver's plus 240, Saskatchewan's minus 303. Um, the spread right now still hasn't moved. It's minus two and a half for Saskatchewan at minus 125. So that juice has moved. Plus two and a half for Vancouver is plus 103. And you can get minus three and a half on Sask at plus one. 10 so the odds makers the pundits the fans they all certainly think that this is going to be an easy game for Saskatchewan and I think from the outside looking in I think you could probably say that but like if you're on that Vancouver team how are you not motivated and concerned for your job Mm mm-hmm after seeing Mitch Jones just get traded, yeah. the guy who's been the heart and soul of this team for how long? Yeah. And now you know it's like, okay, I have to earn my keep here. And again, it's we talked about it a few weeks ago. Like, your goalie gets cut. Cordenly says, that's on you guys. General manager gets cut. That's on you guys. Trade away. Your, your heartbeat, the face of the franchise, that's on you guys. At what, what point is that going to resonate and say, like, we need to be better? Yeah. So I think we we will see what, what this Vancouver Warriors team is all about by the way that they react in this game. Even if they put up a great fight and lose by a goal or two, yeah. and you see that fight and you see that resiliency, Absolutely. you know that 
this team's in for it. And yeah, they probably aren't going to win a ton of games because they're rebuilding and they're retooling, but at least it's not going to be an easy out every single game. No. And I, I think bold kind of helps them with some stability. Um, but yeah, I think a conservative, a concerted positive effort through 60 minutes, it, whether you go, whether there's a, a five goal run by Sask, a 10 goal run by Sask, or even if, it's just a back and forth game. If you can give me 60 minutes of everything you got, then I won't have any complaints. But if it's a lot of heads down, a lot of finger pointing, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth between guys, then it could be a long night. So uh, that's the second game on TSN of the doubleheader. Final game of the weekend, Colorado at Vegas. Mammoth playing their second game in two nights. Vegas, uh, tough loss to Saskatchewan over the weekend. Uh, but again, much like New York, a team that's starting to find their rhythm and Jack Hanna's starting to find his rhythm. Uh, he continues to look better and better each week. He had a great week one, struggled in the next couple of weeks, but I think he's starting to find his rhythm. Uh, Landon Kells is starting to find his rhythm between the pipes. Still a little dependent on um, missing that wood stick, uh, still adjusting to the plastic goaltender stick, but uh, wouldn't put it past Vegas giving Colorado a good fight in that second game of the weekend. Again, still don't know Dylan Ward's status. Won't know if he's there all weekend. Everything dependent on Friday night. Um, but I could see Vegas uh, having a good outing against Colorado coming off that historic first win a few weeks ago at home. Uh, so that's week 10 in a nutshell. Uh, seven games, one on Friday, six on Saturday. Uh, and you get two games on TSN uh, linear. And of course, all games on TSN.ca or TSN plus it's going to be now and ESPN plus we heard from Brendan Bomberry uh, earlier in the show about everything around every child matters and the future of Haudenosaunee lacrosse and the Olympics and everything that's going on. The man tasked with leading the Haudenosaunee team for the next little bit is Lars Tiffany, the head coach of the university of Virginia. And he's focused on his who's and making a run at an ACC title and getting deep into the postseason of the NCAA championships. But the story of Lars and his relation with the Haudenosaunee people goes way back than probably many understand and realize. So I truly do hope you can enjoy an incredible one-on-one conversation between myself and Coach Tiffany here on the show. It is impactful, it is deep, it is eye-opening, and it is most importantly a wonderful chat with one of the great stewards of the game of lacrosse. Every Child Matters movement going on in the National Lacrosse League, um, there are lots of stories to tell. And one of the great stories is, of course, the Haudenosaunee people trying to make that next step towards the Olympics and uh, six is the World Games. And one of the men helped with that task is Lars Tiffany from UVA. Coach, how are you, sir? I'm doing really well. It's great to be on the show, Ted. Uh, we're extremely happy to have you. Um, how is UVA going right now? How's the weather? You guys are obviously uh, getting set for your season to start here in a couple weeks. Yeah, we got our first game coming in a couple of weeks uh, with the uh, University of Michigan coming to us. We've uh, a couple of scrimmages beforehand with uh, Navy and Georgetown to see where we are. Um, and uh, 
you know, balancing that it's, uh, you know, not, it's a new challenge being a head coach yeah. for two teams at the same time, you know, it was up in Albany a couple of weeks ago with the Haudenosaunee and, and scrimmaging Scott Mars team. Uh, Scott Mars actually part of our coaching staff. Of course. And then, uh, and racing back here to uh, be a part of the Navy scrimmage and then the upcoming Georgetown scrimmages. So it's been a, uh, it's been a wonderful, it's a, it's a wonderful way to live though, to be surrounded by it, such it great is, It is a great thing when you are constantly busy. Um, just as a thought comes into my mind, You've been around the college game for a while. Now we're seeing, you know, teams like Michigan being, uh, you know, getting to become powerhouses, these non-traditional lacrosse schools. How cool is it see from a coaching standpoint to see more um, non-traditional schools having strong lacrosse programs? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try to give you the tongue-in-cheek answer first. You know, it's, uh, you know, 30, 30, 40 years ago, there was only about four or five teams that could win the national championship, and Virginia was mm-hmm. one of them. I want to coach Virginia 40 years ago. Uh, you know, now there's a lot more competition, you know, so this doesn't make my job any easier. Um, but seriously, it is wonderful to see the game expand. We're certainly seeing at the Division three and Division two level the growth of the game here in the United States of America, and and uh, Division one's growing slowly but surely. And Michigan's one of those prime examples. And obviously when the Big Ten does everything big and uh, at a mammoth size and scale. So, um, yeah, we're excited. We got two Big Ten teams in the first three games. You know, the Ohio State going to play them down in Florida. And um, so it's, it's, it's great to see the growth of this game. Uh, there's a lot of hype around Connor Schellenberger, obviously. Um, but where's the love for Peyton Cormier and Thomas McConvey? How come these guys aren't being talked enough outside of UVA? Yeah, it's interesting how that works, right? That, and I see that in postseason awards, that oftentimes the biggest goal scorers are not necessarily named to the first team all league or the first team mm-hmm. all American It's the quarterbacks. They get a lot more of attention and, and, uh, and they are tr- probably the more valuable players, but you need guys to put the ball in the net. You know, as I, I heard a coach once say, and I love to repeat, I'd rather have great shooters running a bad offense than bad shooters running a great offense. <laughs> you know, it's shooters are shooters. And if they can put the ball in the net, you know, with an inch or, or a mile, you know, no matter what the offense is running, if they get a chance to put it away. And that's what that's what Peyton Cormier and Thomas McConvey do. And we're so fortunate to have those two skilled players and what they've uh, honed over their years, starting at age five in yeah. boxer cross up in Canada and continue to do, um, you know, with junior A and now into the senior ball, you know, and Thomas being drafted and Peyton certainly would be drafted very high next year. Mm. You know, these are exceptional goal scorers who can take a punch, take a hit and, uh, and, and th- they can get it done in the, in, you know, in the shoe box. And, uh, we see it every day in practice and we hope the nation sees it every day and <laughs> every day <weekend> now, <laughs> um, you know, the, the the growth of the Canadian influence in the NCAA game, NCAA game continues to grow year after year after year. How long is it going to take for the Haudenosaunee influence to start really filtering through the high ranks of the NCAA? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, there's some natural barriers there. Um, one is the strength of their communities. It's difficult for some of the men and women, now that the women are playing at a higher at a greater level to leave home, to leave their communities. There's such strong support, uh, the matriarchal society and the love that's there. It's not always that comfortable. Zed Williams, he came 500 miles South, uh, from Catarugas to come down here to Charlottesville. And, you know, Zed, if classes started on a Wednesday, he would show up Tuesday night as late as possible, you know, and he spent as much time as he could with his family and his people. And, and so we, we, that's part of it. That it's a little, 
So it feels a little more dangerous to go too far away from home. And, and maybe that's where there's lots of opportunities, but you may have to leave the community. Um, and, and it's, you know, I, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by uh, Onondaga people when I was growing up who valued the college education tremendously. Um, but that's not always the case in every community. And it may not be that big of a deal to earn that college degree. And um, because we do, sometimes I do see some fantastic native players and you know here yeah college isn't for him that's not not something he's interested in and that's fine that doesn't make i'm not thinking any lesser of him you know i'm just selfishly like dang too bad for me you know because i'm like a person and uh um but but you're right It, it, it is interesting that that balance because you know, you comparing the Canadians, there's been a huge impact of what they've done in the collegiate level. Can the Haudenosaunee, can other Native nations make a big impact? You know, part of the struggle, as we know, is the finance. You know, we're in a sport where there's 12.6 scholarships maximum for a team of 45 to 50 men. You know, so the average, what, about a 25% scholarship? That doesn't cut it for the Native Americans in mo- most cases. That doesn't cut it for a lot of Canadians. Yep. And so... I know as a Virginia coach that if I'm going to Canada or I'm going to a, a reserve, I, I better be coming with a lot of with a lot of money with a big offer, and so therefore then I become even more selective. Even though there's a bunch of great Canadian and Native players, I can only really go off the best to justify the funding. Um, now some schools have some great financial aid for Canadians, and we see some, and we see them. Year in, year out, be really good. Example, RIT. Um, <laughs> each school's got their own ways of doing things, and you take yeah. advantage of the opportunities you have that are unique to you. UVA, in-state tuition. If you're from the Commonwealth of Virginia, we can make it cheaper. Everyone's got their angles. Maybe you got more academic yeah. money than other schools. Yeah, the Haudenosaunee, there are some schools that you go for free. You know, Syracuse has a Promise Scholarship. Uh, Dartmouth, Cornell's aggressive. It, it's fantastic. And so I would love to... If, 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 if I'm not expecting a lot of myself here, but if, if I could make a little bit of a dent there and encourage more natives to think about getting that higher degree, getting that education and pursuing college, um, that would be wonderful. And then hopefully college coaches are able to come in and offer money that they think is valuable to spend on those Native American players. You mentioned growing up around a, a lot of Onondaga people uh, in, your, in your young growing up. What do you remember about sort of the lessons you learned or were you still kind of naive to everything that was going on? Yeah, very, very insightful there, right? When you're 12 years old, they're just your friends. Mm -hmm. I I can remember being like in my teenage years thinking, yeah, there's not a lot of diversity in Lafayette, New York. Yeah, we only have one black family. I I wasn't even thinking about the native people as, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like different. That's just, you know, uh, and uh, we just... Yeah, so I was a little ignorant on some of the values, but as I got older and I look back, certainly, um, I don't really, I didn't really understand at the time, but I certainly understand now how the game of lacrosse is literally a part of a culture, like intertwined in so many ways. And, you know, we sort of tongue in cheek say, oh, yeah, football's a religion, especially down south in the southern part of the US, especially in SEC country with Alabama and Georgia. Lacrosse really is a part of the religion. It's it's it is the spirituality. Um, it's why there's been some tribes, including the Onondagas, that have been slow to allow women to play yes. because it wasn't allowed. And that was that wasn't just some one person's rule. That's kind of like tradition. And you know, 
you know, almost the religion of it. But obviously, I'm glad to see that 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 is changing. So, I would tell you to really answer your question: the the joy of playing the game. Like when we were at Lafayette, winning the league title, winning a section title, winning a state title, those were goals. Like everyone else, they had those. But when those goals ended, successfully or unsuccessfully, when's the next game? It wasn't like, oh, like it was like, when do we get to play again? Tomorrow? Is there a box across game tomorrow? When, when are we getting back? There's this joy of playing the game and not always being so hell bent on, you know, do or die today, you know, and uh, uh, despite having been on some really great teams at Lafayette. So, how did the opportunity for you to be involved with the Haudenosaunee team come about? Yeah, I know. I was, I was assistant coach five years ago. Um, Mark Burnham, uh, Red Man, asked me about be part of his staff, and uh, I had so much fun with him. I learned a lot from Red. He's a uh, he's a funny man. He's an intense man. He's a competitor. Certainly been on the world stage himself as a player. Probably maybe four, maybe even five world games, and then as a coach several times. Um, so he invited me, and um, so that was my indoctrination. And I had a wonderful experience in Israel. Um, and uh, and and so when the uh, this, this go around came about. I, uh, um, I, I thought about it cause it's a major time commitment, but mm-hmm. thought about it, I said, okay, I'm going to apply. So I've sent my application and clearly stated, I want, I should be an assistant coach that a native American should be the head coach. Obviously they, they didn't read that part of my letter. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, so when they offered me that job, I'm like, did you guys not read it? I, <laughs> I really, I, I, I you know, and, and so I continue to give them that message. Like yeah. the very first call I had with the team, a Zoom call with Lyle Thompson and Zed Williams and everyone else, I said, fellas, my objective is I do this once. And my objective is that I don't know everything, but I'm going to share what I know. And if I can help others um, become better coaches, if I can help natives become better coaches for this organization, the Haudenosaunee Nationals across, then I really have done my job. You know, it's a whole you know, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach him how to fish, you know, you feed him forever. And like, I, I, I and, and again, I'm not the ultimate teacher here, but this experience of spending time with Vince Longboat, for example, he and I are doing the defense and, and I really like Vince and really built a great relationship together. And, you know, he and I think differently about defense initially, but now we're starting to come together and, right. and I'm learning some things from him and I'm sharing a lot with, uh, with, with him. And, and so that's my ultimate goal. Um, out of all this, but I know you really asked how this come about. I will, I will, I will answer it in a different way too. I was very fortunate to be exposed to the Onondaga people at a young age. And what I mean by this is age five, my dad, um, went into a relationship with Orrin Lyons and Irving Powell and the other chiefs of the Onondaga nation. Um, we owned bison. My father was the oddball in the neighborhood. Uh, for a lot of ways, but he always wanted to have Buffalo. And in the late sixties, he went out to Montana, shipped a bunch of Buffalo back and started at the Tiffany Buffalo ranch in Lafayette, New York. Well, you know, over the years, uh, lots of people would, especially on Sunday for the Sunday afternoon drive would pull up along the side of the road <laughs> and look at our Buffalo roaming out there. And, and, uh, and then one day 
couple of chiefs came up the driveway. And when they arrived, my dad said, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> and uh, within a few months, they had a, an agreement made. And, and my father um, agreed to give uh, the Onondaga people 10 buffalo for six years. And after six years, we'd get 10 buffalo back. But as you can imagine, buffalo are good at making more buffalo. So <laughs> they would start their herd. Mm-hmm. And they got 11 because an 11 snuck on the truck. <laughs> And if you've ever rounded up Buffalo, um, you don't, you don't move one off easily. So you're like, you know what? You just take 11, just go. And and they have a robust, strong herd now. I think in sort of 90 to a hundred head level, I I could be, I could be off there. It's a robust herd. I've been out there a few years ago. And, And so because of this, this really unique relationship, I was allowed to go to the longhouse ceremonies at age five or six, I, I was allowed to go to native American days. Like we have carnivals or fairs. Right. I went to one of those when I was that age. And I, I can remember vividly, like, you know, you go to the New York state fair and you got to make a basket with a free throw and an impossibly tight little rim. Yeah, right? yeah. You go to the native American days, they give you a stick. You got three shots for a dollar to try scoring a box across goalie. Like that was like this cool game. Like it was yeah. like, so I, I had this incredible opportunity to be exposed at a young age. And Orrin Lines, obviously, as you know, still is alive and mm-hmm. he remembers that. And, and um, he said something really generous the other day. He said, you know, Brad, Brad Tiffany gave us two gifts. He gave us uh, he gave us 11 Buffalo and he gave us Lars. And oh. it was wonderful when he said that. And so that must have just pulled at the heartstrings. It does. It really yeah. does. And and so this whole thing has felt like a mission and um, in meaning the Haudenosaunee people taught me the game of lacrosse. Right. I didn't play the game. He gave them Buffalo. They taught me the, the game of lacrosse. They taught me the game of lacrosse. And in a sense, and you got to work with me here because this is a stretch, but it's how I feel emotionally. I was sent off into the world to learn more about lacrosse and I made lacrosse my profession. And now I've been sort of called back mm-hmm. to share what I've learned and hopefully help them become better field lacrosse players and coaches and to you know, stronger on the world level. That, that's, that's a really cool perspective. Um, and a, a story that I'd never obviously heard before, but such a, a cool full circle moment to be able to come back. Yeah. And, and with all the stories now, you know, that you're really around the team and everything you've heard up growing up, what sort of resonates with you about the Haudenosaunee people and especially through the, this path of reconciliation? Sure. You know, for me, it's this word reciprocity. Um, and it's almost like the balance, you know, um, the balance of love with nature. Uh, I can remember this, the, the Thanksgiving addresses. And we obviously think of Thanksgiving and we think of pilgrims and Turkey and some somewhere late in November. But the, for the Haudenosaunee people and, and, and other Native peoples, the, 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 it's just a message of giving thanks. And sometimes it's a general one, or it could be specific to gen, Thanksgiving to the trees, Thanksgiving to the waters, to the fishes, to the thunder gods, to the powers of nature. And that's what surrounds us. And having a balanced relationship with nature and this reciprocity, you know, if you're good to nature and good back to you and good to the land and being stewards of the land, that's what I really learned about from the Onondaga people. And, and it's had a lot to do with the effect of where I am in my life with my choices. Uh, um, but it's interesting because most of my Native American friends are not vegetarian, but I've been a vegetarian for 32 years. And because to me, you know, I saw the factory farming and the abuses of what that does right. to the land. And, and that's my way. Um, you know, always been king of recycling and always getting 
you know, I'm that guy in, in your office who's like cleaning out your recycling. Hey, you should throw yeah, it as a recycling. Yeah. No, I'm that guy. And, uh, and so, but yeah, that, that's, that I learned a lot from them and, um, um, and just, just really the spirituality of nature. Um, so you've obviously talked about, you know, the team and the players and being around with this group for camps. Um, there's one player that maybe surprised you so far in camp that you're like, maybe you hadn't heard of them or, uh, just someone that kind of caught your eye. Yeah. So for this year, for this, uh, this, this this year, interesting, I'm, I'm turning my head to look at the depth chart. Um, it's, um, you know, Noah Chismar, he, he, he came on the scene last year, a little later, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a walk-on. He's been, he's been quite impactful. The short stick team for us, someone that we didn't pursue at all um, and just arrived here and has been very, he's been a difference maker for us. Uh, we miss him when he's not on the field. Um, dun, 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 dun. You know, and there's a... Um, we're excited to have uh, the women's lacrosse coach's son, uh, Tim Myers, uh, the yeah, women's lacrosse coach here for UVA is Julie Myers. And, and uh, Tim's a local product. And, uh, you know, some people say, oh, I just recruited him because it's the white, you know, his, yeah. uh, his mom. And, uh, you know, he's, he's actually proven he's a heck of a shooter. He had a couple goals against Navy in the scrimmage. And, uh, nice. and so he, yeah, he's been a nice, he's been a nice surprise, but um, it's, it's, it, you're right. You, it's, it's important you ask that question because you need those. Mm-hmm. Because you know, the, the 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 Cormiers and McConveys and Schellenbergers and uh, Kastners, they they draw a lot of attention, and you know you need your rock stars. But those yeah. gap guys, those guys, are the the glue, the real important, the, the tend who tend to be the best leaders, they tend to be the best captains. Your best players can't be your captains. I truly mm-hmm. believe that. They got to worry about double teams. They got to worry about scoring goals. They got to worry about the sponsorship deals and our NIL deals, and you know they got a lot of stuff going on, and. Uh, you know, those unsung heroes, nobody's putting a camera in their face. They can spend more time in their teammates' faces. Hey, how you yeah. doing? What do you need? Can I, how can I help you? And being a great captain. And so that's what I see from Grayson Soliday, who is our ca- true captain. And then a guy like Noah Chismar, who could come along and he probably could be a great captain someday. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe I didn't uh, ask the question properly. I was I was sort of more focusing on the whole Noshoni team. Oh, uh, sorry. But, uh, but that's that's awesome. I, I love to give those young UVA guys uh, some love. That's, <laughs> that's a little hidden talent there. Nice job, coach. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> um, but like w- within that whole Noshoni team, are, are there some guys that maybe stood out for you? And I'm not talking about Zeddy and Dahoga using sure. the long pole because we'll get to there in a minute. Um, but who are some of the surprises at the whole Noshoni camp of guys that you're like, wow, that that kid is a real special talent. Yeah, sure. Um, short seat committee from the University of Vermont, Stone Jacobs. Uh, we don't play Vermont. Um, that guy can run. Holy cow, he can run. And yes. uh, really excited his his ability, what he can do. Um, so he may not have been unknown to others, but he's unknown to me, so I'll throw him in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amos Whitcomb, attackman, plays at Albany. Um, mm-hmm. That one surprised me even more so because we, we're a who's who on offense. The Haudenosaunee are, are not a who's who on defense. So Correct. we should have some surprise names on defense. Um, on offense, we shouldn't, you know, their, their last name should be Thompson or Stotts or, you know, an obvious Jacob Patterson, like, right. But Amos Wickcombs done a nice job and, uh, he's scoring goals and, and, um, so that, that's been a nice little surprise. Um, another one that's probably not a surprise to a lot of people, but a surprise to me being down South here is Jake Pacino, uh, defenseman oh, yeah. for Albany. Holy cow. You know, 
I, you know, in Virginia, you need to be six five to play defense, right? You know, I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm like pigeonhole like certain sizes. <laughs> Jake Pacino, he says five nine, probably. You know, that might be stretching it, but he's so impactful all over the field. LSM close defense, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no question, you know, how important he is to us. Uh, you know, you put Zed Williams on a defense, and Zed two fifty. <laughs> You know, he's going to be good trying to power against his PLL teammate, Matt Rambo, and that freaking Godzilla King Kong yeah. match happens. That's going to be exciting. Um, but Zed's still learning a lot. Where Pisano, uh, Pisino, excuse me, he he really understands the slides and when, you know, puts pressure on the ball. And, and um, yeah, that, that one's to me, has been a real, real pleasant surprise. So, so maybe I misheard you, but is Zed actually going to play pole? It's something he wants to do. It's something I want him to do. But he, first and foremost, he wants to do this. It's it's like a new challenge in life. Um, you know, most of us have a new challenge. It might be like play the guitar, you know, you know, yeah. something different than what you're really good at already, like lacrosse. But he wants to try a different position in lacrosse, like within the, the same game. And he's really excited about this. And I think it's in, we, we've had a bunch of video sessions with score break is this name of the service that we, that we online tutoring service and teaching mm-hmm. video system. He, he's on there asking questions and he's exposing himself. He's like, I, I, I got a lot to learn here. I got, you know, but he, he wants this. It's, you can tell he's, That's he's enjoying cool. the learning process. Um, so you're right. You should be saying you're, you're taking somebody who easily could be put in the top five or 10 best players in the world. Yeah. And you're going to change the side of the stick. Um, that's a really bad decision, Coach Tiffany. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we've certainly talked about, hey, end of a quarter, you know, with 15 seconds left, there's a yeah, timeout. Put that up front. <laughs> hey, let's go up front. Someone else can stand back there. <laughs> and, uh, but um, we we need it too. I mean, it's just yeah. it's just the nature of who we are, you know. And uh, you know, Pacino plays college across. Um, we got a couple of the guys, uh, Jerry Stotts, uh, Oak. You know, we got some guys who have a six foot sticking around, but they do play a lot of box too. You know, it's just just not that common. And and so having someone with said size and athleticism, um, now we just got to teach him the game, and, and he's eager to learn. A um, couple more for you here before we let you go. Uh, obviously, you know, we we started this conversation with every child matters and what it means, but how has it affected your teachings and coachings and practices? Um, the more you learn being around these young men and women. Yeah, it's um, I'm really glad that the every every child matters campaign is gone to such a to such scale to mm-hmm. so grand uh, a scale across this continent. Um, Turtle Island, as the uh, Haudenosaunee would call it. Um, I think there's more work to be done with it. I think uh, and what I mean by that is I think if we truly believe that every child matters, that even amongst um, the the aborig- the indigenous people that every child matters that regardless mm-hmm. if it's a a white mother or a, a white father that um, because the intermixing it's happening it's been happening for centuries and it's going to continue to move it's going to be more and more blending you know uh, I don't I don't know what the average looking human being is going to look like a hundred years from now but it's going to continue to blend and mold and and um, every child matters doesn't matter what nationality you are what you're your race, your ancestry. Um, I think we just really got to embrace that, that regardless of your mother or father's heritage, 
that we appreciate and accept that um, we give every every child an equal chance. Uh, it's obviously an incredible feeling to be around this group. Um, what does it mean to you to be accepted as a member of their family? I know. And it's, it's, uh, again, it's, it feels like that mission I've been asked to come home. Mm -hmm. Um, it's incredibly powerful and, and, but I, I don't want to overstep. And what I mean by that is I've, because of my upbringing, being, being exposed to longhouse ceremonies and having some really special relationships with boyhood friends who are now manhood friends, uh, Joe Solomon, Brad Paulus, Jacob Azor, uh, and others that I, I, I'm so excited about it that I want to like spew out all this tradition of the game of lacrosse that is from native Americans, from the Haudenosaunee that I learned from, but I gotta be careful because I'm not native and I don't want to be seen as some white guy aggrandizing a game and misspeaking or misstepping and uh but god i have so much i want to share and i i just you know a lot of my my readings if you came to my house you would see uh um braiding sweetgrass by by robin wall kimmerer which is an amazing book an amazing book about the reciprocal nature of neat of uh of the planet that we live on and our balance with it and and the haudenosaunee values um the book uh indigenous continent uh, it's a fantastic read talking, talking about this nation from roughly the 1500s to today. Uh, I should say this continent, uh, not this nation, but, um, and so I get hopefully one shot as I've admitted before, I get one shot to, uh, to have the biggest pedestal to talk from the biggest soapbox. And, um, you know, the objective is to, uh, pursue and achieve the gold in San Diego. Um, and there's other objectives as well to making this organization continue to be more self-sufficient, uh, more native run. The organization is coming along and mm. it's fantastic. Uh, Leo Nolan uh, and the rest of the board, they're doing a really nice job of having more meetings and being more open and, and more sharing and, and being, what I mean by that is decisions aren't being made in vacuums. They're more voices. And we know the voices are important to the Haudenosaunee people. They gave us some of the basic principles of the United States of America's founding, the Constitution, the Confederacy, that sharing of democratic principles of every of more voices. So we know that. And well, the organization is accepting that. And it's it's and it's it's been helped by like conduits such as this, whether it's a Zoom or some sort of yeah. online video where you can get a bunch of people in a room together, you know, on a Tuesday night <laughs> without driving anywhere. That's really helped. Uh, the Haudenosaunee from my perspective. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I, so I'm, this is not one man changing anything, but if, if I can bring a, uh, a higher level of college lacrosse organization skills that I've accrued to this lacrosse organization, um, then, um, and, and provide some defensive teaching, which is where we need the most support because mm -hmm. uh, the offensive skills are there, then, then this will be, have been a success. And, and, uh, and then, the relationships. It's wonderful. It's, it's selfish for me to say this, but this is, this is almost better for me than it's for them reconnecting with the native players, with my roots from Syracuse, New York area. It's uplifting. It's inspiring. 
I'm surrounded by really good lacrosse players in Charlottesville. I go to one practice with the Haudenosaunee. I'm like, oh my gosh, these stick skills are better. I can't believe how much better their stick skills are. And the joy of playing the game and how meaningful it is. And our guys in Charlottesville, it's really meaningful. Yeah, of course. But there's just a little something yeah. different. And, uh, and so it's, it's been a blessing and for me as well. Uh, last one. I asked Brennan Bomberry this earlier in the show, and, and his answer was kind of how I expected it to go. But if and when the call for the Haudenosaunee as an Olympic committee gets accepted and that nation of people gets the word that they'll be able to participate in Olympics and you will have a significant part in that. Who's the first person you call? <laughs> wow. Um, first person I would call is probably Rex Lyons. Uh, Rex's Oren's son. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and I would hope that Oren's sitting right next to him. <laughs> so I could congratulate both of those those men. Now, many other people have worked really hard on this. Yes. Uh, people whose names aren't Oren Lyons, <laughs> you know. And uh, um, but um, because my father's relationship when the donation of the buffalo, uh, when he and Oren were in their uh, in their younger days, as when they were the, the the men from their age forties, fifties, sixties, when they were really running the shows and making all the decisions, and their relationship they had, and they built that that trust through the trade of the bison. Um, that's to me would be the most meaningful. And seeing Rex, uh, he and I are similar generation, and we're sort of carrying the, the next generational torch of this. Um, I've really, really appreciated the relationship I've built with Rex, especially recently with the Haudenosaunee. Uh, national lacrosse board um it would be to them and say wow um probably be a tear and tear in the eye because of how important this is to for identifying the haudenosaunee as a, a sovereign nation and uh all the issues of the passports in 2010 with mm-hmm. the games in manchester england and why they didn't accept american or canadian passports just to play you know, and, and the, 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 the two day debacle we had getting to Israel in yeah. 2018. Um, and still, as we go to San Diego this year, it's, it's going to be on the Haudenosaunee passport. We're going to travel. Yeah. It's, this is, if, if the realization of the Olympics occurs, that, that is going to be an amazing, an amazing step forward, amazing day, an amazing step forward for all Haudenosaunee people and indigenous peoples on this continent. And, um, but certainly I would, I would go to the, the two, to Rex and Oren first. Uh, coach, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. Um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate everything you're doing for the game. Uh, continued success, my friend. And, uh, hopefully we can chat soon. Uh, I would love to talk again. This was wonderful. Thank you. And man, uh, we probably could have had just an hour of he and I going back and forth talking. And, and what a crazy story that a herd of buffalo purchased by his father <laughs> led to this lifelong journey um, of a man that continues to give back to the game of lacrosse. So really appreciate Coach Tiffany joining us. Um, that won't be the last time we chat with him. Uh, just an incredible conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening to his words as much as I did them as well. Patty, what do you think the the feeling around that group will be if and when the call to the Olympics comes? 
I honestly don't even know if I can really put it into words um, and be in their shoes to to even put myself in that situation. How much joy, uh, elation, relief that you know they they finally are recognized as a nation by the Olympics that they can live out a lifelong dream that probably was never a dream because they never thought it could be possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I thinking like, Oh, the lacrosse is never going to get to the Olympics. Imagine what they think they would think. Right. Right. It's that much more. Seems like at some points it was not achievable. And then there's a glimmer of hope and, and they've been working so hard to achieve this. And again, I've said it, Once I'll say it a million times, like the Haudenosaunee aren't able to be in the Olympics. Like I don't even want the Olympics to have lacrosse. Exactly. Like they need to be there. There is no No point point. because at the end of the day, without the Haudenosaunee, without the creator, there is no game of lacrosse. Lars Um, said it best. uh, You know, in America, people say football is a religion down the South. Well, lacrosse truly is the religion of the Haudenosaunee people. It is the creator's game. It is the medicine game. It has been a gift to all of us. And we are forever thankful for that. But for it to be on the grandest stage of them all, it's not have the Haudenosaunee people there. Uh, just makes zero sense to anybody. Time now for another edition of the off the crossbar podcast parlay. Our box bets are heating up. But we just can't quite get over the hump. We've been close. You guys are trying. I think we need you guys to try a little harder for us because it's not our choice anymore. It's all up to you. Another edition of Box Bet. Time now for Box Bet, your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> we're the king of going two for three, Patty. Rochester, Toronto, Sass, we had them all to win. Alas, Rochester ran into a buzzsaw. We've got another parlay picked by the fans, and it was down to the wire, too. <laughs> yeah, this was crazy, man. Talk about drama and comebacks. Like, this one might have been almost as wild. Insert as Undertaker gif here. <laughs> yeah, as the Vegas comeback we saw against Vancouver a couple of weeks ago. Um, we had, I think, some point last night when we recorded. So, on Tuesday evening, Toronto, Halifax, all to win. Um like 50%. And then when we wake up this morning, we check the poll <laughs> out of nowhere, Calgary, Albany, Rochester, plus one and a half is now the winner and is now the exclusive OTCB parlay presented by CoolBet. So all we need, Calgary, Albany, Roch, to keep it within one goal, plus one and a half. You get that exclusively. At cool bet at plus five seventy. Wow, that's a nice number for a weekend of fun for the fans. And they don't got to win. No, they do not have to win. All they got to do is keep it close. And let's be honest, uh, with the way that we've seen Rochester play, with the exception of last week, and the way that Albany plays with everyone, they don't get blown out. Nope, they play close games. And the Roughnecks 
they pro proved last week they're never out of it either. So I love this one. The fans, you guys outdid yourselves, but let's do better than two and three. We don't get paid when it's two and three. You got to go three and three for the parlay. We don't get paid at all. This is all for you folks. So like I said, let's be a little better. This is a good one. Calgary, Albany, Roch, plus one and a half, plus 575 from the Cool Bet fans. What an amazing way to start your weekend. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this way to start your weekend. Uh, fantastic chat with Brendan Bomberry and with Coach Lars Tiffany. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to try to do more of that as the National Lacrosse continues its Every Child Matters movement. It is also the start of Black History Month in the National Lacrosse League and everywhere across the United States and Canada. So this will continue to be an outlet for people to tell stories, share their words, learn, and listen. For another addition, he's Pat Gregoire. Find him on Twitter at P. Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. Or find us on Instagram at OTCB Podcast. Seven games, two on TSN, a double header. Make that dent in your coach. It is going to be a good one. Take friend, take two. Take two, buy him a beer. Lacrosse, beer, and friends. It's a natural trifecta. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am-